Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A boy, Aloe, is believed to bring bad luck and and is blamed for a string of disasters. When his family loses their home and are forced to move, Aloe meets a spirited orphan named Kia and her eccentric uncle, Purple, an ex-soldier with a, in a purple suit, uh, a, a rice wine habit, and a fetish for James Brown. Struggling to hang on to his, fam- to his family and his father's trust, Allah leads his family, Purple and Kia, through a land scarred by war in a search for a new home. We're joined today by the director of the film The Rocket, uh, Kim Mordant. Kim uh, has been responsible for other films, including uh, a documentary on... Uh, on Laos called Bomb Harvest, uh, Jammin' in the Middle, Six Degrees, uh, was a series, uh, Mongrel Ghost, and other films. But he joins us today to talk about his remarkable new film, The Rocket. Kim, welcome to Film School. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you for talking to me. You're welcome. Uh, well, tell me and tell our listeners a little bit about the inspiration uh, for this film. The inspiration, well, look, it's, it's kind of been a decade now. <laughs> I, myself, and the, the producer of the film, Sylvia Wilczynski, we, we lived and worked in the north of Vietnam about 10 years ago in Hanoi. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Hanoi was a, a great place to, to work and live, and, but it was fairly intense. So we used to travel to, to Laos across the border quite a lot. It was kind of like going back in time and back into the country, and the people were really gentle, beautiful people, um, very festive. And it was really on one of those trips that we, we, we spent a night in a bar with a bomb disposal specialist. And he told us about the secret war. And for us, we were gobsmacked. We had absolutely no idea that alongside the Vietnam War was the secret war that ran, a covert war that ran for pretty much totally covert for six years, and it lasted nine years uh, in total, uh, and which made Laos the most bombed place on the planet. So we thought, my God, we're, we're educated people. We don't know about this. Why not? And that was the beginning of the journey, really. Um, mm-hmm. And out of that, we made a documentary called Bomb Harvest. That was, that was really the beginning of connecting with this country. Well, it, um, I myself um, was only vaguely familiar with uh, the secret war in Laos, and w- um, this film again is a- another window into uh, the, this place that most Americans uh, barely know exists, let alone, as you said, the most bomb place on the planet. Um, what was it, what what was uh, the the spark? Uh, was it the characters that you were the people that you met in Laos that inspired you? to embark on writing the script for The Rocket. Um, tell me a little bit about the characters themselves, where they came from. Yeah, look, look. I mean, I think you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we obviously, the, the context behind the story is, is legacy of war in this country that's, that's suffered deeply. Mm-hmm. And today, Australia uh, has this sort of relationship with Asia, which really is very opportunistic, ultimately. You know, it's all about... Uh, the big industries and what we can get out of uh, of Laos. You know, Laos full of gold and copper, and uh, there's a lot of hydroelectric dams that that have have uh, there's 52 in in planning right now. But you know, it was really, I guess, it was in our travels to Laos, 
what we found was is the people that we were meeting were just so incredibly forgiving as, of us as Westerners, number one. You know, we, we thought, well, considering this place has been so hammered, people are in, inviting us into their homes. And look, it could be the Buddhism, but people really seem to want to break cycles of hatred and move forward in their lives, find positivity in their lives, and go further than that. They wanted to have fun. You know, mm-hmm. um, we found ourselves inside festivals and even... Uh, uh, even if you were in a place that was very remote and people had absolutely nothing, uh, what they did have was music, mm-hmm. and uh, you know probably a Marshall stack plugged into that <laughs> generator and that music player, and, uh, and and it was really to do with the spirit of the people, um, and also the, the humour of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Australians, uh, probably and Americans, get on very well with loud people because. We have a similar, very sort of dry sense of humour, and and the Lao, um, we just couldn't believe how often we were laughing in this place of this dark, dark history. Um, so that really was the beginning of the inspiration. We thought, well, um, it could be a very, very interesting way to entice people into this context, into this history, with these wonderful characters, mm-hmm. um, who some have a very popular tongue, <laughs> um, <laughs> a very witty popular tongue. So that really was the beginning of it. Okay. And I guess in making the documentary Bomb Harvest, we, we had to, we travelled with a bomb disposal team extensively for months um, through very remote areas. And in that journey, we met many, many people, and not only in, in the, the local bomb disposal teams, but also people in remote villages, the chiefs, the police, uh, Hmong people who had fought on the wrong side. And um, and it was really that that, that, that became the, the groundwork for the, the feature, for writing the feature. We're speaking with uh, the director of The Rocket, uh, that would be Kim Mardant. I understand that Lao has no film industry to speak of, so what was the challenge that you faced or how did you address the challenge of casting this film? Well, you know, I mean, Lao does have some filmmakers. It definitely does, mm. but it has no funded industry. Okay. And I think it, it really, you know, our collaboration was really with the Lao community in Australia. Mm. And we worked particularly with a woman called Pauline Puminda, who's Lao Australian, also on the documentary, and it was really after the documentary that the Lao community said to us, look, let's make another film, and you guys should make it. We, we love the documentary, but how about a fiction film, and how about it be in Lao with Lao protagonists? And, you know, that was... A <laughs> we were quite terrified, to tell you the truth. Um, so that really was the beginning of the collaboration. And, um, and in terms of casting the film, um, you know, the first... I guess the first real journey was when Sylvia and myself was, we made a promo before we made the feature. It was sort of the only way to kind of gather interest in this mostly invisible place. Um, and, uh, sorry, I'll just turn that one off, excuse me. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, so we made this little promo and Sylvia and I traveled around the country with our six year old son. And we we went to schools and we did workshops and we did all sorts of things. Um, and, uh, you know, we were looking in marketplaces and temples and uh, and meeting children from, from, from all around the country and also from children from just over the border in Isan, which is 
uh, in Thailand, but, but basically the Isan people, a lot of the Isan people were war migrants from Laos, so mm. also speak a Lao dialect. Mm. So we really were looking extensively. Um, and then we also started to work with a Thai casting agent called Non Jungamai, who's a, a wonderful woman and whose main pastime, I guess, is um, uh, walking in the mountains of Burma and Laos and, and Thailand and Vietnam. And it was really, you know, working with her as well that, number one, we came across the little girl. Um, I, I came across her in, as a part of a drama group. She was a part of this sort of little puppet drama group on the outskirts of Vientiane. Mm-hmm. And uh, she plays Guy. I mean, she plays um, uh, Kia. Mm-hmm. And um, her name's Luknam Kalsainam. Mm-hmm. And she was um, only eight at the time, which was quite a big surprise because originally I'd written the role for a sort of an 11-year-old. She was older than the boy. But what we were finding was that in a developing country, um, kids grow up very, very fast. So an 11-year-old girl is kind of almost almost a young adult in that they've probably been working with the family or doing a job outside of the home. And, um, and what we were finding was that the 11-year-olds had already kind of become self-conscious as we all become, as we become young adults. Mm-hmm. And I really needed someone who was still totally in, in, you know, uninhibited and was very much themselves and lived very strongly in their imagination. Um, and when I met um, Luknam, uh, she was all of those things. You know, she just, she didn't care about the camera, didn't care what I thought and was just completely herself. And, you know, she could kick a ball higher than any boy and <laughs> Uh, you explained parts of the story to her and she immediately began to live them and you could see that through her eyes. And as a, a filmmaker, all that is incredibly exciting when you start to see that you're going to be able to, to, to travel the emotional journey with a character literally through their eyes. Um, and so that's where we found Lukna. Well, and, and Kim, Kim was, was that a key? Is, is finding... Well, you, there were two children yeah. in the film... Yeah. Finding that first, I, it sounds like uh, Kia was the first of your uh, finds in casting. Is that yeah. is that for, is that really help key the rest of the the cast for you? Is there is that is there that one character that helps you sort of want to play off of in a way with the with the rest of the cast? Yeah, look, I think that's that's very. And look, for me, you know, even though the boy is the the, the protagonist, yeah. For me, even when writing it, the girl is the soul of the film, the okay. little girl, yeah. uh, Kia. You know, look, so Luknam, for me, was um, I, I was putting in just as much time and um, I really, really wanted to find this little person who, in a way, is the, sort of, is, is, is the soul of the boy. It, it, it's who the boy should be, but because of what life has dealt him, He's, you know, trying to strip away all this self-hatred to get back to to a, a level of of innocence and goodness that children do have. I mean, they can also be wicked, but they they ultimately are good little people. And um, so, for me, you know, finding her was incredibly important. And um, um, and and even when we were filming. Um, in a funny sort of way, because his character is—he's—he's he's a little wheeler dealer in a way, and yeah. you know, and even when he—he, he, you know, he kind of fixes things by being able to talk his way in and out of them, and he can do anything, fix anything physically. But whereas she is, she very much lives in her thoughts and 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 in in a life, and so even on set, you know, I kind of used her as the the, 
the truth meter, mm. and, uh, and in a funny sort of way, she helped him get to much more truthful places when need be, yeah. uh, just because of who she was. So, yeah, she was very, very important in the casting. The, there is yeah. a certain um, no-nonce optimism to her and her in her the yeah. spirit in which she she uh, prods Alo, the the young boy, into yeah. doing the right thing. But she does yeah. it. She does it in a very determined sort of way. Uh, Absolutely, and I yeah. and I like that ab- about their interaction. He 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 tended to be more emotional. He tended to yeah. be reactive in the way, either in re- reaction to her or determined to prove the rest of his fa- or some of his family wrong. Um, yeah. In in terms of that, so you found Kia, and, and was Aloe next, or were you look? Did you start to look for other? Did how did the rest of the casting essentially? Uh, well, look, I mean, just just to go back on that point, I mean, you're completely right. This little girl has had to look after this uncle, the very eccentric uncle, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, in his purple suit and his fetish for rice wine whiskey. <laughs> and uh, um, so I think that has made her very pragmatic in a way. Yeah. She just has to sort of get on with things and, and deal with them and make a decision and move on uh, on many things in her life. Um, but, yes, look, the, 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 really the next person we cast was... The, the the little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no. The next person we cast was Grandma. Funny enough, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and she was very very important as well because, you know, I guess ultimately she's the the human antagonist. I mean, there's all sorts of yeah. other forms of antagonism in the film at work, but but she's the antagonist to the boy. And I, I was really really determined to try and find someone who we could love and laugh with before we had to kind of <laughs> be yeah. repelled by them for a very long period in the film. Yeah. Um, and she was all of that. You know, when, when I, I met uh, Bunsi Indi, who plays Taitok, the grandmother, yeah. um, she was gorgeous. She was an incredibly strong, um, proud human being. But at the same time, she was funny as hell and warm and held my hand and was very tactile and, and and absolutely adorable, and 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 I thought, well, this is this is kind of this is this is the antagonist that I want. <laughs> I want an antagonist that you can love and hate, and then love again and hate again, and uh, which in a way is is you know much more real. Um, yeah. And and so she was she was very important to find, um, and I knew quite quickly she was the right person when, well, when I met her. Now that that leads to a, for me a, a, an interesting um, kind of uh, situation as a director, because you're yeah. dealing with two young people who are yeah. who are absolutely critical to telling your story, yeah. who are untrained. I assume mostly untrained as actors, yeah. or if not completely uh, new. Yeah. And then you have the oldest person in the cast who is a trained actor. Yeah. And, and in giving direction, it was was there anything that you, did you shade your direction? Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm sure every director has to adapt to his actors. But what was the kind of the approach that you had to use? Was it the same? Did it differ? How how did that work for you? Um, well, I think you know, in, in a funny sort of way, I think it almost changed every day. <laughs> you know, okay. When you've when you've got kids and you've got a mixed cast of uh, you know, even though Grandma's done a few films before, and the fellow who plays Purple Tet Bonam's done a lot of films, it, none of them had really done anything purely naturalistic. Mm. 
So the, the first thing we did was, you know, I, I took them through this kind of accelerated method acting course, which they all completely embraced and said, yes, let's go there. This is something new. You know, we're, the, you know, they were very much from the tradition of sort of slapstick comedy, which I quite like, you know. <laughs> I, I don't mind a bit of slapstick, but that's not what we were doing in this film. And so, you know, we, we had a three-week period where... Um, I stripped away a lot of the dialogue and we kind of worked a lot with music and improvisation and emotional memory and started trying to align as much of that story as we could to our own lives. And, you know, I shared part of, of things from my life that are in that story that are very personal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I lost a parent at 10 years old and that's very much the boy's journey in this film, mm -hmm. which he's trying to... To, to recover from through it. So we started, as soon as I started sharing some of these things, the cast started sharing all these things. And once we started aligning that to the narrative wherever we could, um, people started working in a different way. And I also did a lot of work with them in terms of, of voice, you know, working on a much more intimate level or, or through no dialogue at all. Um, and they were just terrific, you know. I mean, mm. if you were to look at the first couple of days of rehearsal and where they ended up at the end of it, uh, it was a, a huge journey to travel very quickly. Um, and um, we did a lot of trust work. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when working with kids, one of the main things is that you build a family around them. Um, and what that means is that if, if you've kind of got this place of trust and love, and, and care, everyone starts to be much braver because there's a safe place to recover in. And and I think that was a really, really interesting thing to explore was, you know, how in a family, I mean, all families start off loving each other. Mm -hmm. It's just when things go wrong, it's <laughs> what happens from there on and whether they can they can find love again. And, and so in a way, we kind of built the built the rehearsal process a bit like that created a lot of trust and then and then put up situations which were quite diabolical but with a place of trust to return to and uh yeah people started doing really brave internal work yeah yeah and i want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with uh, the director of the film the rocket that's kim mordant uh and the film as i said earlier I'll, I'll say it right this time it opens today in new york city at the ifc center uh and also in new york at the eleanor Brewer. Brunin uh, Monroe Theater, and this coming Friday, uh, uh, January 17th, at the Los Angeles uh, New Art Landmark Theater in, in uh, right off the 405 there at Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, so check that out. And this film strikes me as a, much of, of it as a fable of sorts. There's a lot yes. of uh, yeah. sort of references, but I think the strength of this film is that it, as you've described, these characters are very much rooted in um in in, in reality there there's a, a a very real feel to the story but i can't help but and there's uh, i can't help but think of it as a fable in in many ways uh, uh, particularly yeah. the, with uh, the one scene where alo uh, dives into the waters of the dam and below the water he sees a couple of uh, the the heads of some statues that look like it was a buddha statues i'm not sure exactly yes. Uh, yeah. And that sort of put me in the mind. And there's a, there are other things in the film that that uh, that take you to this place. Uh, and I yeah. do really think that that's the strength of this film is to tell this fable in a very yeah. real setting. Uh, is yes. that by by yeah. by design? Is that something you were trying to do? Yes, 
Yeah, look, look. I mean, and you, I mean, you're right. You know, in the early scripting of the of the of the film, you know, we, I was constantly thinking about now how are we going to tell this story. And the more research we did with people, you know, with the Lao community here in Australia, but also the, you know, going into very remote places in Lao, we were surrounded by this sort of ancient mythology and folklore, and and the place is very ritualistic. And and even in the major cities, they're, they're full of festivals, and some of these are ancient festivals. And so the, the more we were witnessing this, we we thought, well, this is such a strong part of of um, of Lao culture that um, we thought, you know, we should actually build this into the style of the narrative. And so really, that's where the sort of the fable quality came from. We thought, you know, this film is going to be so full of ritual and mythology. Yeah. Let's give it a sort of fable-like quality to to travel that journey. Um, but having said that, in terms of the style of the film, uh, the style of the acting and the shooting, we wanted it to be completely naturalistic. And um, and so, yeah, it was about bringing those two things together. Well, um, the opening scene it, it, it is is very much about superstition and yeah. cultural uh, sort of cultural biases if you will uh, and yeah. and that's that's not exactly uh, the fable but it it does feed into what you were talking about the the idea Absolutely. yeah it's yeah. part of that culture and part it's of part of it and and in those animistic remote places it's still very strongly believed a lot of these you know it, it's in those remote places that life really is seen through the spirits that exist all around you mm-hmm. And some of those spirits are good and some of them are bad. And it's inside birth, it's inside uh, fertility, uh, life, you know, all the way through life to death. Um, so it, it is, it's, a, it's very strong. Well, and, and there are references in the film, the, the appearance of a, a, what I assume to be an Australian talking to the, the villagers about it, the dam that's going in. Um, yeah. And, and this, so obviously, as you described uh, you know, there's there is an industrialization going on in uh, in Laos right now. Is, yeah. is it, do you do you think that the part of the power of the uh, of the mythology and the superstition, it, how is that impacting this industrialization? Or and the, I guess another way of asking it is the is the so-called benefits of industrialization is that actually benefiting the people, the kind of people that are in your film. Well, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of twofold, and it's you know, there's a lot of grey area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, like in the film, and probably like in most belief systems, you get divides in families and divides in the community. And you know, you might have, like in our film, you've got the grandmother who still believes very strongly in this twin belief: one is good, one is bad. You don't know which one, um, so you kind of have to remove them from your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, then you've got the next generation down, mum and dad. Mum doesn't want to believe it. She wants, she can see there could be other opportunities to, to, to move out of these beliefs and move into a more sort of modern existence. And then you've got the boy who's kind of indifferent and, and doesn't know which way he should believe. But by the end, he definitely doesn't want to believe it because it's kind of ended up persecuting him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it is divided in, in communities and out of modernization you know if it is done in the right way can come some really good things i mean you get you get medical help you get um, you know cleaner cleaner places to live um, you get more education for young people 
uh, all sorts of things. But, but at the same time, um, you can get a, a loss of some, some very important parts of ancient culture and, uh, and, and, and really what makes up people's identity in some of those more traditional places. Um, and look, you know, as we show in the film, yes, there is some harshness in, in some of those belief systems and some of those animistic beliefs about what is good and bad. There's also a lot of beauty, a lot of fertility festivals. I mean, the Rocket Festival that, mm-hmm. that concludes the film is full of fun and um, and and hope, and uh, it's dangerous, but it's certainly full of fun and hope. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's kind of all of the above. But, you know, one thing that we found really interesting in our research was that as we were moving into places that were being relocated and industrialised and traditional people were being moved out of, one thing that we did notice was that the traditional people in those places were clinging to their traditions because that, for them, life was changing before their eyes and they were trying to cling to, to things that they believed in and have believed in for a very long time. And for them, that change equaled bad. <laughs> you know, this was the bad spirits who were... Yeah. Who were poking their heads up because everything is changing and being taken from them. So we thought that's why we really have it in this in yeah. this narrative and in this context is because uh, it was it was a very much a reality of, of some of the older traditional people. Well, it's understandable. Here's here's a culture that's been around thousands of years, and in a yeah. matter of a few years. Uh, their land is being torn from out from under them, and they're being moved yeah. around uh, against their yeah. their will. Uh, this is after going through a period of horrendous upheaval, uh, with the the war uh, being waged in their country. Um, so there, it's understandable that they would want to cling to what they what they know and what they're familiar with. So uh, a, natu- a natural yeah. reaction, really. Um, well, and I, I just uh, in in the last couple of minutes we have. Well, first of all, I, I wanted to um, point out um, Molly, the the mom yeah. in this. She really had a particularly strong presence in in what yeah. amounted to a fairly brief time on screen. I just wanted yeah. to point that out. I thought she was very very um, powerful presence. Um, she is, yeah. And she's she. It's funny, you know, when we played. Uh, premiered at the, the the Sydney Film Festival when we had our Australian premiere. We had 400 people from the Lao community, and you know, and we brought the the, the little boy uh, City Pondisamur out, and the little girl and Purple Tep, who plays Purple, came. So we had a lot of the cast here, and I remember looking over in the after party, and someone was speaking to the woman who plays the mother um, in this very broken, you know, considered voice, saying to her. I really enjoyed what you did. And then in her very broad accent, she said, oh, great, oh, I'm glad about that. And, and her name is actually Alice Gyalhavong, and she's Australian Lao, and okay. couldn't be more Australian if you tried, really. And uh, But she has a very, very interesting history. You know, her parents were war migrants, and her mum came to Australia. Her father's actually in America. Um, and she was she's never done a, a feature film before, but... I came across her when I was doing some screen tests out at the Lao Temple in Western Sydney, uh, at the Buddhist te- uh, temple. And um, and the thing about Alice, I mean, you've, you've, you've kind of, you've got it really. She is one of these people that I knew would become a mother. She's incredibly warm and very, very good with kids. 
But at the same time, she was really the only actress that I saw here in Laos or in Thailand, because we looked very far and wide, who, in a place of absolute terrible grief at that moment of where she thinks she's going to lose her second child, mm -hmm. um, has to be able to recover and rival this grandma. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in, in a place of deep grief. And she did it. She did it. She's got that ability to, to tap into this incredible strength in a moment of terrible vulnerability. And, uh, yeah, no, I think she's, she's really quite a special. I, I, uh, I agree. I think she's a natural. I, she just really yeah. was able to convey a lot of emotional yeah. range in a relatively short period of time. As you Absolutely. said, the opening yeah. scene, uh, her yeah. affection towards uh, Aloe seemed yeah. very, very natural, very warm. It was absolutely. It, it took literally a day from the day, I'd say, at the end of the first day when they met um, in rehearsals on location, um, they were hugging each other. They felt like almost like family. And they became completely like family within a few days. It was really, really lovely to watch. Well, yeah, and uh, well, I, I look forward to seeing more of her. I hope it, it works out for her. Yeah. If that's her chosen uh, field if she chooses to absolutely. continue this. But uh, well, it has yeah. been a absolutely ple an absolute pleasure uh, uh, to talk to you about uh, the rocket. Uh, it is, uh, again, it's opening. It'll be opening not only in New York and in Los Angeles over the next couple of weeks, but it's rolling out across the country. Uh, you can go to the Kino Lorber website and also to your um, production house, which is Red, what, I'm sorry. Your Red Lamp Films. Red Lamp Films. And, fi yeah. and find out more about um, The Rocket and some of your previous work as well, including um, Bomb Harvest and Jammin' in the Middle and all the different films, 45 years is enough. I wish I could talk to you about that. That sounds like an amazing documentary that you did <laughs> on Bulgarian uh, resistance and the, um, the, the change from a communist country t uh, into a, a freer land. Uh, is, uh, but yeah. anyway, well, to, for another day, Kim. Uh, but, for another uh, day. Yes, but uh, um, just some uh, great work here, and it's, uh, I'll let our listeners know that the reviews have been outstanding. It was the winner uh, at the 2013 Tribeca Film Festival for Best Narrative Feature Film, for Best Actor, and Audience Award. It played at Berlin, uh, Melbourne International, AFI, Sydney Film Festival, won awards at all of them. Um, and and a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and for some people that's really all they need to hear. Uh, but it is it is a wonderful film, uh, funny, warm, uh, engaging, um, scary at times, and uh, all of it. And uh, it's what a film should be. And thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thanks so much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.